Welcome to episode 25 of our little podcast, Being Jewish. My name is Seth. His name is Dave. Dave, 25 episodes? I told you, know, you we I wanted had, to stop after 15. But once we went to 16, we had to make our way to the next squared number, right? I see. 16. 16 was four episodes times four episodes. Now we are at five episodes times five, which means... We definitely have to make it to 30. No, we at least have to get to 36 because 36 is both a square number and it's double high. Two times life. So it is a delightfully auspicious number. Right now we are, we're a quarter of the way to a hundred episodes. It's fantastic. Over the weekend, I struggled with uh, the one award show. I like the award shows. I like the Emmys. I like the Oscars. Um, The Golden Globes are interesting. Um, I, I'm in SAG after, so I like the SAG Awards because I vote for the SAG Awards. Um, the Grammys makes me feel about 106. <laughs> it's funny. I've actually been getting into these younger musicians because of my kids. They're people oh, who I never would have otherwise listened to. And some of these pop musicians are really quite talented. I'm kind of astonished that I enjoy listening to some of this stuff. That's that's a whole other show. Maybe episode fifty. We'll do. Uh, we'll we'll break down our musical tastes. Um, I just never thought I would ever choose to listen to Demi Lovato, just because that was outside of any world that I knew. Turns out she's also a punk rocker, and she has a whole album that's redone as a rock album, and it's fantastic. This right. is rabbinically endorsed, although there are some explicit songs that should not be shared from the Bema. <laughs> We're going to get Tipper Gore. <laughs> Tipper Gore and the parental advisory. Oh, uh, uh, yes. One should always article, have the parental advisory. There was an article in uh, Newsweek. Uh, it, was a, it was an opinion piece. So let's take it for what it is. Uh, but it's an opinion piece by a guy who fought in the Iraq War. He served two tours in Iraq. His name is John Spencer. He's a columnist for Newsweek. And through his reporting, he wrote this column that said that no one, no military in world history has been more careful about civilian casualties in such a small space than Israel. You sent that to me. I did. And my initial reaction to, well, I was driving, so I didn't read it right away. But my, my initial reaction when I read that article I said, if I were to go on social media right now and write these words as if they were mine, no one would believe me. Yeah. But if a person was to actually think about it, it would make a lot of sense. Israel is not called the most moral army in the world because they are fully moral as an army. There is no military where you could call their actions fully moral. You could arguably say that Israel takes more measures than any other country to avoid civilian death. Because here's the thing about war. You can't avoid civilian death. If you avoid civilian death, that's when you're doing targeted assassinations. In every war, there's civilian death. And in any major war, they are in great numbers. The difference with Gaza is that it's such a small, densely populated territory that There isn't really a zone where there isn't war. And since the primary target of this war is not just Hamas, but also their infrastructure, and their infrastructure 
is entirely underneath this territory, the damage is going to be intense. Does that mean that Israel should not go to war? This was an attack on them that will happen again and again and again. Hamas has promised this. So I think it is reasonable to say Israel is not carpet bombing Gaza. It's also reasonable to say it stinks. It's awful that they have to do this. It's awful that there are all of these deaths. And by the way, the other thing is when we're looking at the 25,000 deaths count, it's funny how in other scenarios, people separate the deaths of combatants or militants or terrorists, depending on how we're looking at it, from civilians. There is no such figure here. Right. I think the estimates are it's roughly one combatant for two civilians, which is actually in war a phenomenal ratio. Again, recognizing that having to say this and praise that is an awful scenario in which we have to be because war is awful. However, if someone has given you no other options and Hamas has given Israel no other options. Well, right. So take that and understand that what we're talking about is the public opinion. And what I did was I sent that link to people who were posting things that were very, very anti-Israel, not mm. anti-Semitic Semitic all of a sudden. But what they're doing is what the mainstream has been doing, which is saying that Israel has obliterated Gaza and killed innocents and it far exceeds whatever happened on October 7th. That's, that's the rhetoric folks. Uh, that That's not my words. That's, that's yeah. what's going on. And we'll get into how that's impacting the election in just a minute, but to stay on topic here, the idea that this message needs to be seen by more people, but not people that are listening to this podcast. Because somebody listening to this podcast goes, yeah, I know that. What, but, you didn't? But those people who we say need to hear, or sorry, need to read it, or people who need to hear this podcast, do we actually think their opinion will in any way be changed by anything that they see that runs contrary to what they believe? Because so far, that has demonstrated itself to not be the case. I have often argued that we need to do things for public opinion but these times have reminded us that for much of our history public opinion has not often been favorable to us i think this is one of those scenarios where we are not going to be able to shape much public opinion on this the public is against what we have to do for I mean, we can look historically and try to find different reasons. And there are things, some pieces that would say that uh, people could have a beef with Israel, but nothing at the major level that exists in that public opinion that has a strong foundation, uh, at least a, a foundation of time, not a foundation of truth. I don't think we at this point have any power to shape the public opinion that can allow us in line with that public opinion to do what we need to do to defend ourselves. Israel has been a political pawn in the U.S. And what we're seeing now is young voters, which is a goldmine for any political candidate, are sympathizing with Palestine. I mean, that's that's the way it's been going. 
not everybody is anti-Semitic, not everybody is anti-Israel, but it's been very pro-Palestine. And Joe Biden has been very pro-Israel his whole life. You know, it's consistent with what he's done when he was in Congress and and and, and, and as vice president and now as, as president. That's not the question. The question is, there's a major perception issue going on in the United States. That a, he's too old, that he's not resonating, and he's not resonating with black voters and young voters. And he's going to have to start saying some things that I don't think as a Jewish person I want to hear, but I want him to get elected because I don't like the alternative. And, you know, again, if we were doing this about just the election, it's it's it's, you know, an 80 year old against an 80 year old. And it's there's there's so much wrong with what's going on. But that's not the point. That's what that's the hand you're dealt. I am concerned that in order to try to get the the young vote. Stories like that Newsweek story are not getting told. And I don't expect you to have an answer. I guess from a politician's perspective, particularly a politician running for office. To what end? If they are a politician who can afford to stand by their principles, then they can do what is absolutely right. Joe Biden is in a position where he cannot afford to simply stand on principles in this election because there is a great deal at stake. His public opinion has never been lower. Which is absurd given his accomplishments, in my opinion. Regardless of political party, what he has accomplished in his short time is tremendous, but we are a fickle people. And this fickle people is also unwilling to listen to reality that is separate from what they choose to believe. We are in the era of make up whatever you wish to believe. You could argue, well, we as pro-Israel supporters, we are unwilling to see information from the other side. But I would beg to differ because here we are also saying it's not a good situation. It is not good to be Palestinian right now. For those people who would opt to not be part of this conflict and just live a peaceful life, this is absolutely horrific. We are critical of Israeli leadership, right? More information that is based on fact that tells any story is useful information. But are you willing to take everything in? Are you willing to ask the difficult question? I don't know. Um, I, and I bookmarked I bookmarked that article and I just want it to be known because in the next weeks and months, you're going to see so many stories, so many people complaining about Israel's tactics. And what I was heartened by by reading this was that Israel hasn't lost its discipline and they're not trying to kill people recklessly. I mean, he made a very good point. A lot of people question why are they using a 200-ton bomb versus a 50-ton bomb, right? It, they could just take out a target with a 50-ton bomb. And yes, when you're thinking about who's on the ground, the author very wisely pointed out 
Well, if you're actually trying to get a tunnels under the ground, no, you actually do need the 200-ton bomb. Because remember, Israel is also trying to make sure that its soldiers, which are, let's be honest, it's teenagers and young adults from the country, they're trying to make sure these soldiers don't get killed. And guess what? In a case of war for survival and for existence, I'm going to do what I can to protect one of my soldiers' lives over multiple lives of the people who are trying to kill us or who, uh, to whatever degree, right? It From an Israeli perspective, in a time of war, there is not the same obligation to the life of someone in Gaza as to the Israeli life. It doesn't mean that that life, generally speaking, is of less value. Every life is valuable, but it's a question of obligation. And to all of these people who are saying Israel should do less, okay, present an plausible alternative for how Israel can get rid of Hamas, or at least get rid of the threat of Hamas that does not risk right. Israel. Get rid of the threat of Hamas and get those hostages home. Yeah, anyone. I, I, I can hear Ben Stein saying Bueller, Bueller to the deafening silence when it comes to actual reasonable solutions. There isn't. This is a, an awful situation. It is, it is. And you, my friend, are going to be heading right into the eye of the storm. I've got Eye of the Hurricane from Hamilton playing in my head right now. In the eye of a hurricane there is quiet For just a moment A yellow sky In the eye of the hurricane uh, I don't know the rest of the words though so you don't have to put up with more of that. Yes, we are sending, God willing, a solidarity mission from the community, uh, from the synagogue to Israel in the final week of February. We are going to be visiting the sites in the Gaza envelope. We are going to be meeting with families of hostages, possibly former hostages themselves, families of soldiers, and really hearing as many stories uh, of firsthand experiences as we can. And we're also going to be volunteering there, both volunteering to make meals for the soldiers and the thing that Israel very much needs anyone coming to visit to do, which is volunteering in the fields to pick the produce, because the people who work the farms, many of them are fighting right now, and many of them aren't allowed into the country because they're Palestinian. And... Palestinians on October 7th demonstrated what they're doing with the information they have of the layouts of the kibbutzim and the farms. So Israel needs volunteers to come from abroad to actually pick those vegetables and fruits and flowers. So we're going to be doing that as well. And I will be taking as many recordings as I can. Uh, some of those audio recordings I'll be able to share uh, on this podcast, and some of it will be sharing on social media from the congregation as well because only a few of us can head over there. So we want to be able to share this learning with as many folks over here as we can. When you go, how much access do you anticipate you will have to actual soldiers? I know that sounded like a very think... amateur question, but you know what I'm... <laughs> I ask better um, questions. Yes. 
I think we will be able to meet with actual soldiers if they're not out in the field at that particular time. Soldiers may have a day or two of leave. We will not be going to Gaza proper. That is not something I would have any sense of safety to do. I feel like we are perfectly safe taking our team into Israel and going close to Gaza. However, we cannot go into the actual war zone. And so we'll get to speak with the soldiers outside of Gaza. I mean, the thing about Israel is anyone with someone who is in their first half of adulthood, that they have someone in their family who is fighting or on leave from fighting. So unfortunately, there are plenty of soldiers to be found who are all too happy to share uh, about what they're facing because it's necessary for them to spread the word. And we're also going to be bringing over goods that we've collected to help support them, including cards made from the kids in our schools, bracelets. Uh, apparently, Israeli soldiers have also been asking for a lot of chocolate and candy bars, even uh, even uh, cliff bars. So we're going to be coming with them and hopefully making the difference we can as foreigners trying to provide support and uh oh, I'm, as... I'm proud of all you guys i'm impressed that you're doing it thank you it'll be an intense trip but i think a really important and meaningful one we're going to try to make a difference on the ground and we're also trying to learn as much as we can so we can make a difference here too at least for those who will listen how long is the flight it's about 12 hours one way and 10 hours the way back. Uh, I can never remember which one is the shorter one or the longer one. It depends on the spinning of the earth. Uh, there are many things that I do know that is not one of them. I remember in the 2000s, my late best friend, uh, Daryl Hamilton, and I, we were traveling to Tokyo, Japan for uh, the World Baseball Classic. And Daryl <laughs> had purchased... A full season of the remember the show twenty four, of course uh, with uh, Jack Bauer, the only person who could stand a chance against Chuck Norris. His whole idea was he was going to watch twelve going and twelve going back. <laughs> uh, by by the way, for pride in another country, um, we're we're very proud of Kiefer Sutherland, a, a great Canadian. There you go. There. Yeah. And Alicia Cuthbert for, uh, you know, both of them on that show. But she did not last as long as uh, J as Kiefer Sutherland on that show. Well, we'll talk to you before you leave. But uh, I wanted to make sure we bring that up. And uh, it was something that I know that you're looking forward to. And I want to hear more about. And I'm excited to hear what you what, what, what transpires. I'm excited to be able to share it with you. Uh Maybe I'll even bring you back some chalva. There we go. Now we're talking. <laughs> and uh, we'll figure out what we can possibly say about the number 26. But brought to you by the number 13 and the number 2. <laughs> yes, your kids are younger. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>